What's going on, guys? Okay, so today's episode is crazy. So obviously, for those who have been following, you guys understand that I served in the uh, as a Green Beret, right? Third Special Forces Group, whoop-de-whoop. But nonetheless, um, I lost a lot of guys, uh, a, a lot of friends, a lot of colleagues, a lot of peers throughout my 10 years of service. The one element that was always there, it wasn't the VA, it wasn't the Veteran Affairs, not, not for my guys. For my guys, it was the Green Beret Foundation, okay? It's a nonprofit organization that literally provided support that you could not believe. If it was trauma support for the family members, if it was unemployment support, if you were transitioning out, if it was disabilities, disability support beyond what the VA would offer, the Green Beret Foundation was always there. So for today, this is a super sentimental episode for me personally, but we have the executive director, big dog, Mr. Brent Cooper of the Green Beret Foundation. Now he's going to talk about his story, how he went from literally a uh, 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 traditional life. Oh, he did college. He decided, ah, I'm going to jump into the corporate world before I finish. We'll finish his degree. We'll go military in the in his 30s, which is like, who does that? Some people do, but who does that? And then he decided to transition back out into the civilian world before he decided to become the executive director of the Greenberry Foundation. I mean, a massive amount of experience, a massive amount of insight. And more importantly, he talks about why he decided to chase a life of fulfillment, of purpose, not money. So without further ado, guys, let's hop right to it. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby, and this is the Military Cash Flow Podcast, where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. What's going on, guys? And welcome to another episode of Military Cashflow. Today, we have a super special guest, Mr. Brent Cooper. He is the executive director of the Green Beret Foundation. And before we get into what that really means, I'm going to let the man, the myth, the legend go ahead and introduce himself and tell us a little bit about his background. What's up, man? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, like you said, I appreciate that, man. Myth, the legend, Brent Cooper. You know, I am the executive director of the Green Beret Foundation. 501c3 nonprofit organization serving specifically Green Berets and their families, uh, active duty, separated and retired in, in many different facets. And we can get into that more. Um, I don't know how much you want to dive back in into my past or how, how far back you want to start. Yeah, man. Let's tell, tell, tell the audience everything, man. So how, what's your entire background from, I don't know, I mean, high school into, into your, your early 20s, into, into your military career, tell the whole thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give you the highlights of it, right? I'll give you the highlights and leave out all the bad parts. <laughs> uh, you know, I had a very unconventional path into the military. Um, I didn't join the military until I was 30 years old. So prior to that, you know, getting out of high school, I, I didn't grow up in a military home. And it wasn't really, so it wasn't necessarily something that was even an option. It wasn't talked about. 
uh, it wasn't really even in, in our community. It just didn't seem like there was a lot of military people around. And so I kind of always thought about is, you know, what it would be like to join the military, but it was never something that was even considered. Right. Um, so, you know, did college, got into the corporate world, spent my twenties in the corporate world and just kind of always had this itch, uh, to see what the military was all alike, but what the military was like, but before I knew it, my twenties was over, Mm. I hit 30 and it's like, Holy crap, man. Like if I don't join now, I will probably never get a join. And as many regrets as we have in life, that was not a regret that I wanted to have, um, not serving our country. Um, and so at 30, I decided, Hey, if I'm going to do this, I'd felt I worked with some of the best of the best in the corporate world. And I wanted to work with the best of the best in the military. And I thought, what better than army special forces? So at the time I signed what they call an 18 x-ray contract, which is essentially guaranteed slots, but not guaranteed outcomes, which enable somebody off the street to go through a ton of training and get to special forces selection. And if you make it there, get selected, then you start the uh, special forces qualification course. So at 30 years old, yeah, man, I joined the army. I was a uh, 30 years old in, in basic training with a bunch of 18 year olds. I was older than the majority of my drill sergeants, you know, so it was pretty funny, um, you know, having them yell at me and I'm like, man, it just wasn't too long ago. Like you're, you're junior high when I was graduating high school. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, but that, but that's kind of what led me to the military. And then at the time, you know, we don't have to really get into it, but I was, I had a, a ex-wife, um, and we divorced shortly after I joined and it kind of shifted my career path because I had thought I was going to make a career out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, even at 30, I'm like, Hey, I'm just going to make a career out of this. And then not too long after, uh, met somebody new married and it kind of set me on a new path and then decided, you know what, um, military life was not going to be conducive for our family. And so I chose to get out. Um, And that's what led me at 35, man. So then at 35 years old, I got out, moved up to Washington State, um, got my MBA up there and got into property management, uh, residential and commercial property management, also got my broker's license. So it was this weird, right? Just this weird (laughs) confluence of events in my life. Because at the time I was getting out and I was stationed at Fort, Fort Campbell, Kentucky at fifth group, fifth, yep. fifth special forces group. And at the time I was considering going to Vanderbilt uh, and do their MBA program there. And I was approached uh, from the company in Washington and it was like, Hey, you know, I need somebody to run our property management franchise and love your background. And I said, well, look, I'm looking to go to school and, Hey, have you ever looked at the University of Washington? I'm like, no, I've never even considered it. So I checked out the University of Washington and I'm like, that's actually a really great school. Yeah. Um, again, put all my eggs in one basket, got into the program, moved up to Seattle and spent the next four years there. So yeah, and ended up working full-time, getting my MBA full-time, and then also had a kid after a year. Nice. So it was just a mess. Nice. Like 2015 to 2016 was a blur. 
um, but yeah, so then I was, so, uh, then I got into property management and, and we're doing residential property management in the Seattle area and, and small mixed use commercial property management. So Seattle at the time was booming. The real estate market there is just booming. It still is. Right. It um, really is. Yeah. Seattle is it, insane right now. It was a great, you know, and coming from, we had just moved from Clarksville, Tennessee. So we moved from Clarksville, Tennessee to Seattle, Washington. And it was weird, just uh, the perspective of real estate and how, you know, you know, everything's so expensive up there, mm -hmm. but you, you know, wherever you move, you kind of acclimate to it quickly. Right. And then it becomes the norm. Absolutely. It's like, Oh, a little two bedroom apartment for $3,000 a month is normal. Yeah. You know, but then it's ridiculous when you really think about it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but you adapt, man. You adapt. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the things that you said constantly was the fact that you kind of just jumped in, you know, balls deep into everything that you did. You know, honestly, you yeah. just said, hey, I went from college into a corporate world. Bump it. I'm going all in on this military thing. Bump it. I'm going all out. I'm moving to Seattle. So tell me yeah. a little bit about your mindset, man. What what in your life caused you to just think in that sort of manner where you just said, you know what, Re not necessarily reckless abandonment, but said, Hey, I'm willing to take this risk and go for what I know there's potential in. Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say my philosophy when I, when I take big risks like that, I generally have the mindset that I have, there's no plan B. Nice. Um, I have no fallback plan. So, so my motivators are much stronger, right? Right. Because when you want to quit and, and you will, just like going through the special forces course, like I wanted to quit hundreds of times. <laughs> the thought crossed my mind plenty of times. It crosses everybody's mind. Yep. Right. And I tell guys all the time, like, you know, the guys that become green berets or, or, you know, special operations units, they're not always the biggest, strongest guys. You know, it's the guys that don't quit. It's the guy is the guys that have a mindset that is, I will die out here in training before I quit. I'll mm -hmm. fall over because I can't take one step further. And that really is the mindset. And I think for all of us that go through that type of training, that's why we're so close when we go down range and fight. Mm -hmm. Cause we all know the guy next to me, the guy left and the guy right of me, they're going to die before they give up. Um, I don't have to worry about them ever quitting. And so when you take that approach, right? And so then I, I kind of took that approach in any civilian aspect that I do. And it's like, well, I don't have a plan B. This is what I want to do. Here's the goal. I'm going to plan backwards. And then it's taking the small incremental steps in order to achieve the greater goal, right? Because if you just, you got everybody has goals and most of them are pretty daunting, right? Mm -hmm. And, but, but then you create the little goals in between. And it really is about, and I remember when I'd be in training, right? And it's like, all right, just 20 more steps. And then you get 20 more steps. And it's like, okay, 50 more steps. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a silly analogy, but uh, it's a kind of the same philosophy that I just have in everything I do, where it's literally, I want to do it. And then if I don't achieve it, right? Um, then I figure out what's the next step. Then I'll pivot, come up with a new goal, and then go that route. But I just think for me, and, and that's not necessarily how I live my entire life. I mean, I'm actually a huge planner. I have contingency plans for a lot of stuff. I'm a risk mitigator. 
Nice. Um, but when it comes to achieving success and really the things that you want to achieve in life, I think you just got to go all out, man. You have to go all out. And, you know, I tell my wife this all the time, you know, for her dreams and stuff she wants to do. I said, you know, when I look back on my life now, I'm 41 now, right? Yeah. I still have a lot of life ahead, but I think every great thing I've done was really, really scary. Yeah. And as far as the decision, the yep. decision to do it was a really scary decision looking back because you have all those fear factors in you that it's like, you're not going to make it. And you got all the external factors. I mean, all your friends and people are like, that's what you want to do. Are you sure? Yeah. Right. Yep. But you, I, I think for me, it's like, you just look hard, hard in the mirror. And it's like, I know what I'm capable of. Uh, I know what I'm built of. I know what I want to achieve. But to your point, I think growing, um, really to answer your question, I suppose, growing up, uh, I think I was, I was probably underestimated a lot growing up. Mm, gotcha. Yep. Um, so you maybe a put a little shoulder. chip up, a yep. little, ch a little chip on my shoulder, not like yep. an angry chip, but, uh, you know, I played, I played sports my entire life. Mm -hmm. So I was already naturally athletic, but I think it created that very competitive, uh, aspect of me. Um, but yeah, I would say. You know, I'd, I'd be overlooked for, you know, a premier, you know, I played soccer growing up. If yeah. I was overlooked for a team or so it just kind of instills more motivators in you. So rather than me being like, screw it, I quit. I don't want to do this anymore. It was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, I can. I can do this. I'm just going to train harder. Um, and I think for me, I'm rarely the smartest person in the room. I'm rarely the strongest person in the room. But there's there's few people that I know will outwork me because I'll just keep going and going and going. And that's a beautiful part. You said few people will outwork you. One thing that I notice about, especially individuals in special operations, but nonetheless, people within the military, with the armed services, there is a, a aspect of discipline and consistency among them all. Yes. And I always tell everybody, look, the, the people who are most successful in life aren't the best, they're the most consistent. They're making, you know, in sales, they're the ones making the same amount of calls every damn day. Right. It's the, you know, it's the one in the football field. It's the one who's training every day in the weight room every day. So it's just about being consistent. So I love the fact that you mentioned that, that it's about those individuals who are willing to just die, you know, in the training ground, right on the battlefield. And I'm, and we don't take that lightly. We do not, but nonetheless, it's those who are willing to sacrifice their comfort level are the ones yeah. who succeed. So I really, I really love that. All right, let's take a quick break. I hope you're enjoying this awesome episode. If this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn, network, and take action, make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books. You'll find the Military Cashflow Facebook group where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our military cash flow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset. We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one -on -one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, we'll even vet and find an investor and military-friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. 
So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools. And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. All right. And with that said, let's get back into this episode. So I want to back up your story a little bit, man. You said that you went to college and you were in the corporate world and you didn't join the military until you were 30, damn near 30. So yeah. tell me, you went, what did you study in college and what was that corporate world like? What, what, what was your job? What was your profession? And, and what did that look like? Yeah, I kind of dabbled around a lot, but I, um, I got my degree in business. Mm -hmm. um, well, well, long story short, did two years of undergraduate uh, in my in my tw or right before I joined the corporate world, and then I finished my bachelor's uh, in my thirties, and okay. then I went on to get my MBA. Nice. So, but in college it was all business. So I got my undergraduate in business, and then I got my master's in business. Nice. Um, but in the corporate world, I got into some marketing, and then and then I actually started in computers. I was Damn. I was okay. yeah I was a. a a help desk, like network administrator. I love computers. I'm a techie. Um, Were you an 18 Echo? I was an 18 Echo. There you go. All right. I, I, was, I was actually one of the few people that wanted to be an Echo. Right. Exactly. There ain't many of them. It's like, ah, that's me. <laughs> Dude, I wanted to be an Echo. Good stuff. Um, but, I, but I started in computers and I loved it. But then I hated like being behind the desk all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So... Then I started getting into like sales and business development. Mm. I love shaking hands, kissing babies. Yep. And, and so then I got into IT recruiting and I was doing business development for an IT, IT recruiting firms, mm -hmm. uh, California and Colorado kind of lived, lived in a couple States. Um, you know, and so I've always kind of stuck in the business development, marketing and sales arena uh, nice. on the corporate side. And life was going good, you know, it, it was going good, but it was, I was chasing money. Mm, yep. Um, you know, and I think that absolutely stemmed from, I did not grow up with money. Yep. Um, you know, I grew up uh, free lunches at school and, you know, so I think it, it you know, we always had the worst car. Um, so I think that kind of, in my head, I, I thought if I could just have these nice things, these nice material possessions, right. then I'll be happy. And then what happened was, yep. right, I would get those things or then I would make X dollar salary. And then it like, this wasn't as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and then I just, I was like, well, now I need more, right? right I right. need a nicer car. I need more money. And the reality is the more money I made, in my twenties, the more money I just ended up spending. Mm -hmm. exactly <laughs> right. Yep. You know, and you get in that hamster wheel and it just wasn't fulfilling. And I think a lot of it was that's, that's really what drove me to the military was I wanted to serve something greater than myself. Um, that, man. And, that. and I was tired of chasing something that clearly wasn't fulfilling me. And so when I joined the military, absolutely, it was serving something greater than yourself. It was phenomenal. But then when I got out, you go back to the civilian side, and it's very hard to replicate that sort of selfless service in the civilian sector, unless you're really making an effort to, you know, work, 
help a nonprofit or, or do something in your community, right? Because mm-hmm. it's easy to just go back into your, into your job, your nine to five or whatever you do, right? And just work, get your paycheck, go home, pay your bills, yeah. rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And I got, when I got out, same thing again. I kind of, I pulled the Heisman on the military <laughs> and you know how it is, right? Yeah, I'm like, oh, absolutely. I'm getting far away from that. Um, I like being able to do what I want again, go where yeah. I want. Yeah. Don't have to put in a leave form. Yep. Oh. And I started chasing money again and we had a great life in Seattle, but man, after four years, I felt it again. You know, it's like, Hey Brent, like, why didn't you learn your lesson? The, you know, mm-hmm. the first time, the first, the first time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my wife and I were sitting on a couch mm-hmm. and she's the one that actually found the, um, the, the job description or the, the job ad for the executive director position at the green Bray nice. foundation. Nice. And, you know, we're thumbing through Facebook and she goes, Hey, check this out. Cause I was looking for a change. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the job at, and I'm like, wow, you know, I got MBA, I got, I was a Green Beret, like I got all this business experience. And I'll tell you what, man, the last 20 years of my life made sense in that moment. Mm. Because I had, right, 10 years in the corporate world, five years in the military, and then almost five more years back out again. Right. And it was like, where do I fit in, right? Yeah. And so this was like, this is phenomenal because it gave me an opportunity to serve something greater than myself, help my brothers and sisters and their families that are still serving and they're out, right? So I understand that lifestyle, that dynamic, which is so incredibly difficult. Yeah, absolutely. There's a guilt factor in there, right? I got out and our brothers are still serving and dying and sacrificing. And so I want to give back again. And this is my way of kind of getting one foot back in the regiment, but not putting the uniform back on. Right. Like I still got to run a business, but help the regiment. So once again, you know, we're up in Seattle, good life. We just bought a home. We'd been living in three for three years, Uh, had a two-year-old and my wife, of course, she's phenomenal because I'm like, this is going to require us moving to San Antonio, Texas. Oh, damn. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, we live we live in San Antonio. I'm from Texas. So, hey, Texas is the greatest country in the world. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. So once again, I, I applied to the position, kind of yeah. not thinking, you know, having no idea what they look for, but I'm like, I'm just going to do it. And, and yeah, one thing led to the next. And so I've been running the foundation now since June of 2019. So we moved to San Antonio, Texas since June of 2019 and things have been going pretty great, man. Awesome, man. So before we get into that Green Beret Foundation, man, just to kind of recap, I love the fact that you mentioned, you know, how you were doing your thing in your 20s, you were chasing the money, then you felt a call as a greater calling. You joined the military, you got out because you wanted more freedom and then you chased the money again. (laughs) I think, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, here on this channel, man, most of our audience, obviously servicemen and women but they think money will make their lives better. They really do. They say, you know what? I'm going to get out the millionaire and I will go contract overseas doing the same job, but make three times as much because my life's going to be better. It ain't the case, man. And this is this right here is proof, right? My man Brent's talking to you guys. Listen, 
It's not the case. So I love that you, you kind of explain how that journey went. Then you turned around, you went back out to the civilian world and you end up coming back, right? To the Green Beret Foundation. Now, you know, I mentioned it before, this is a very sentimental episode for me because as, as a Green Beret, I know what you guys do. I have seen what you guys do. For most of the audience, they may not know. So could you please explain what does the Green Beret Foundation do for their uh, uh, servicemen in the, in the, in the uh, Special Forces? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in a nutshell, we are the nonprofit foundation that is providing resources, whether financial or non-financial resources, to Green Berets and their families um, for things that are not covered by the Department of Defense or the VA, Veterans Affairs. Because there's a lot of stuff, you know, everybody thinks, oh, you're in the military, everything's covered. And, and there's a lot of things that are covered. That is true, that is true, yeah. But there are also a lot of things that military insurance does not cover even when you're in, and then especially when you get out. And if you get out, um, you know, unless you retire or whatnot, you're not really eligible for benefits anyways. So a lot of, uh, even Green Berets that get out and have regular insurance, uh, you know, health insurance, if it doesn't cover it, we'll still help cover the gaps and stuff. So we, we're doing everything from casualty support when Green Berets get injured downrange um, we assist with a lot of travel and lodging costs, you know, for family members to get to and from. We assist Gold Star and surviving families. Uh, we do a lot of health and wellness support that stems from, and that's kind of what I was mentioning, any medical expenses or medical related costs that aren't covered by the military. So it's a lot of stuff in there. I mean, we really do the full gamut of support for our Green Berets. And we're the only ones that really have a customized approach when it comes to this. Um, and, and it really is, depending on what it is your need is, you know, that's where we'll step in and try and make it happen. I love that, man. So uh, for the audience that doesn't, isn't aware, and obviously you guys, I hope you guys are aware because you are mostly servicemen and women or spouses of them. There is an 80% divorce rate, above 80% divorce rate within the military and above 80% suicide rate, which is insane, right? Which is absolutely insane. Understanding that people have um, internal conflicts or personal conflicts that they can't seem to get rid of. Understand that there are support groups out there. Even more so when somebody deploys every six months they train every three months, right? Which is that of the special operations. So the fact that uh, there is a foundation dedicated to those men and women who support, because now there's women in the, in the special forces uh, regiment um, and says, hey, you know, if the military doesn't cover it, we got your back. That is extremely important. You know, I personally have seen some of my friends um, who have passed away where their families were then supported or supplemented through the Green Beret Foundation, which is extremely important. And I love that. To death. So let's talk a little bit about that, that transition into your role now as executive director. What did that look like? You had a world of, you know, worldly experience. You've done a lot. You was in the military civilian world twice, and then you moved into that. How was that transition? What did that, what did that handover kind of look like for you? That's a good question. I would say there was some very difficult aspects of it. I would say for the most part, as far as, as far as right? Being on the nonprofit side now, mm. what I tell people all the time, for 
predominantly my experience is for profit. And I think in large part, that's been a very good thing um, as far as my experience in that, because I view whether it's for profit or nonprofit, it's a business. If you're not growing, you're dying, period. Yes. And so when I bring that mentality in, and the other aspect too is, and with that attitude and that, and that mindset, right? As a nonprofit, a lot of times it's like, well, we just got to raise money and then wait to help people. You know, and I tell, and I say it all the time. It's, it's super easy for us. If we just want to sit back and answer the phone or wait for the, wait for the email to come in, you know, and then I can write my name on a check and here you go. We're helping you out. That's lazy. Yeah. That is a lazy ass mentality. And so we take a much more proactive approach and it's like, what's going on in our community? Where are guys hurting? Where are the families hurting? Mm. How do we have to pivot our programs and services to, to adapt to the needs of our regiment? Right. Because we got great programs. Our, our programs are set up to kind of cover everything. Mm -hmm. But as you said, right, that suicide rate is ridiculous. It's absurd. And, you know, without getting you know, the things I've been through my life and some of the stuff I glossed over, right, was my divorce. The divorce at 30 went through bankruptcy. I lost mm -hmm. everything, right? At 30 years old, started over as I'm going through the military. Um, so literally, and then that was a big reason why I made it too, right? Because I'm like, I've got nothing to go back to. Yeah. I left Colorado, joined the military, right? You leave, you leave for the military with just duffel bags. Yep got divorced, never went back. Like house, tools, clothes, never went back, right? Imagine that. Yep. So I went through this FD, this time, right? Where you have these mental thoughts and you're like, life's over, what am I gonna do? And, you know, I just started my life over again and climb back up, you know, get back on the horse and keep going. But to your point, um, you know, with the foundation. So we just created a burden bearer support initiative, which under that is the Andrew Marcosano Suicide Prevention Fund. And so what we decided to do was let's create a fund specifically for, and it's a restricted fund. So all money that's donated to it, the money is solely used to support Green Berets and family members, spouses and children uh, for mental health, suicide ideations, Sub, like substance abuse type stuff. All the triggers are things um, that suicide kind of stems from, right? And it's a myriad of things. Yeah. And so, because we recognize, just like you said, man, these statistics are staggering. And, and it's kind of becoming um, destigmatized now, at least to be able to talk about it more. Yes, yep. Right? And so I, I think it, some people believe, oh, it's much more prevalent now. And I disagree with that. I think it's always, always. been bad. Exactly right. It's just we finally are, are, hey, we're talking about it right now. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to talk about we've been through mental, you know, we've had mental issues or, or you had these sort of thoughts or ideations. And now we can talk about it, but not just talk about it. The Green Beret Foundation is saying we can get you the help you need as well. We've got resources. And so that's when we team up and we collaborate and we've collaborated with a lot of organiz other organizations around the country, depending on what somebody needs. Um, and we can either put them in a substance abuse program, get mm -hmm. them to see a psychologist, 
uh, or a psychiatrist. You know, uh, we're working with some of the best PTSD clinics in the nation, you know, getting guys going through these programs. TBI treatment as well. TBI is extremely prevalent, right? Because all the guys that, you know, a lot of the, the Iraq war, you know, guys were getting blown up all the time and they just go back out because that's what you did. Yep. Um, back up and went back. Just <laughs> go back out, <laughs> right? Yep. So, you know, I can keep talking down the rabbit hole, but I, I think my point is, you know, for, for this foundation, serving Green Berets, serving tip of the spear. And since 9-11, since 9-11, 60% of all casualties have been Green Berets. And when I say casualties, that's, that's injured, uh, KIA, everything. 60%. Nobody talks about that, right? Which means Green Berets are truly the tip of the spear. They're the ones going out in harm's way in the conflict. And, you know, and, I, I'll say- And the that, ripple effect, the ripple effect all the way back home, right? Exactly. On how that affects, how that affects the home families, not just- and that's where, you know, our family support program is huge, helping families, helping children. Um, it just, and so what I do, right, and what we do now, it's just phenomenal because I have a lot of skin in the game as far as it's very personal for me because all the individuals I'm helping, you know, I served with. They are my brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. These family members are friends with my you know, these, these service members are friends with my wife, with my family. And, um, so for me, it's not, it's not a job. Yeah. You know, I, it, I'm very fortunate to be able to do something that I'm very passionate about and it's very fulfilling. So, I love that. Uh, and, and the fact that, um, you know, to be honest, you know, in my personal opinion, you're blessed to be in a position where you feel compassionate about what you're doing. A lot of people work because they feel like they need to. Right. A lot of people work because they're like, oh, I need this next paycheck. But, yeah. you know, if you handle your finances right again, this is military cash flow, guys. We're talking about financial freedom and, and finding your, your purpose in life. And I feel like, you know, you potentially have found that position. Right. You're giving back to a greater community. And for the audience, we're not taking away from, you know, some of the anxiety or the uh, experiences that normal day people go through because that is, you know, you have PTSD through several experiences, but understand that within the military culture, we are bred, we are trained to think, all right, hey, we got hurt, let's continue forward. Hey, we experienced loss, let's continue forward. Hey, you know, we're going through troubles, let's block that out and continue forward. And unfortunately, that reflects, and just like Brent said, a much higher uh, percentage of divorce rates, suicides, depressions, I mean, just PTSD, you name it, right? And so it's, it's, it's so much more impactful when there is a support element out there for an individual who needs it, regardless military or not, military or not, it is so much more impactful. So that is again, why the Green Beret Foundation, uh, you know, obviously has my full support, but it's so important within uh, uh, the sphere uh, of our brotherhood. And so I really appreciate that. So one other quick, quick little question about the uh, Green Beret Foundation, beyond doing all of those uh, uh, services, do you guys ever host any events or is there any um, fundraisers or anything else? Is there any way that just the average Joe could con can contribute and, and help uh, donate a little bit to the Green Beret Foundation? 
Yeah, we do quite a few events. Oh, you know, nice. On our website, greenbraefoundation.org.org, we got a list of events on there. And the majority of our events are done by third parties. Nice. So nice. an individual is like, hey, I just want to give back. I know, you know, I got a connection at a, at a golf course or we just had, you know, a group do like a, like a pub crawl type, like a, oh, nice, yeah. you know, for, and got all these breweries involved and Hey, every, every beer you purchase a dollar is getting kicked back to us. So there's all nice. sorts of ways to raise money or just get involved and give back. Right. And that's when I talk about serve something greater than yourself. And, and I think for me, what I learned is unless you're serving something greater than yourself, I don't think you'll truly be passionate about things or truly be fulfilled. And you said something very important, and I've and I have experienced this in and I would say now the 20 plus years of my adult career, especially you know, 15, 16 years of that was in the corporate side. It's very easy. And I would say for the most part, what I've recognized is most people view work as a transaction. Yes. Their job is a transaction, right? Yes. I need to go to work so I can earn a paycheck. I just need to do what I need to do earn my paycheck. It's like I pay my bills, right? It's just a transactional affair as opposed to, you know, and it's difficult to find something you're passionate about, but once you do, it changes everything, right? Because now it's, it's not like, I don't have a work-life balance. It, it's a work-life integration, Ooh, you know, okay. but the fabulous thing about it, and I've got actually my, my staff is, as the buy-in to that, right? And I've told staff like, what we do, this isn't a nine to five job. If you want a nine to five job, that's fine. Go get a banker, go be a banker, you know? But what we do, we're, we're providing a service. And so we have to be available at all times. If somebody calls me at 10 o'clock at night and it's like, I'm about to go jump off a ledge or I'm drinking myself to, to death, who can help me? What am I gonna, oh, let me, uh, let me go call some, no, that's me. Yeah, That's me, I'm here to help you. You know, and so with that, it's a work-life integration, you know, and there's a lot of flexibility because I tell staff all the time, like, I don't care where you are, what you're doing, whether you're in the office or you're not in the office, get the work done. That's what I care about. I care about results. Um, and so, you know, with that, but, but I think once you find your passion, right. And I tell people that are transitioning, guys ask me all the time, you know, I'm going to transition. I need to go get a six figure job. I need to go do this. Right. And I said, brother or sister, I said, don't look for, stop looking for just a job title. I said, what you need to do, look for organizations, look at their mission statement, look at their vision statement, look at their values. Do they align with yours? And if they do, apply there. Do everything you can to get your foot in the door. Mm -hmm. Because once you get in there, especially Green Berets, you're going to climb faster and higher than anybody else in that organization. But I can guarantee you, if you just start chasing a job, stay, chase that contracting job because it's big bucks. Or right, right. Nine times out of 10, it's going to be awesome for a year or two. And then you're going to get bored out of your mind because now their core values don't align with yours or they're doing something mm -hmm. that you don't agree with or, or you're just bored. Yeah. <laughs> and the money's not as fulfilling anymore because now you just were able to buy all the things that you thought were going to make you happy. And they made you happy temporarily. Money makes life easier. Don't get me wrong. Of course, but only up to a certain point. You know, there, there's, a uh, there, they say that um, 
the threshold is $85,000. As soon as the individual, now mind you, this was like four years ago, so it might be more. Right. But nonetheless, once you start making $85,000, the quality of life doesn't really change that much. You know, if you make a million dollars, great, cool, you got a private jet. But as far as the comfort of living doesn't change that much. You got 85,000, you could order out every night. You can, you know, get the Hulu and the Netflix. So money does not equal happiness. I love how you said that. And I love the fact that you said work-life integration. I've never heard that before. I'm not going to lie to you. It's always a work-life balance, work-life integration. And on that same note, it's by finding your passion, you get to really, life is, I mean, it's not work. It's fun. Right. You know, it, it feels fulfilling. And that's honestly what me and Dan do now. We, we, we love to give back to our audience because we got life figured out. You know what I'm saying? We got that. This is fun. We do this for fun. I love that, man. Um, so it seems like you got some good pointers out there. It seems like you got yeah. some, some, some great uh, insight for people to follow. Now, I digressed a little bit, though, as far as yeah. talking about events for, for the yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, good, yeah. It was, really, it was really just going down about, about the events, right? Yeah. You can go online. Anybody can donate. Um, but as far as wanting to get involved, that's what's cool. And I tell mm -hmm. people all the time, you know, people are living all, all, all over the country. We're a nationwide organization. And so just figure out one, I tell people, is there something you love to do? Something you're passionate about? Um, and then let's figure out a way to do it. And that's where GBF can help people. We'll help people uh, put on a fundraiser or put on an event. Like they kind of do the heavy lifting. Right. We provide a lot of the back end support um, for them to, you know, if they wanted to actually throw an event or put on an event for Green Beret Foundation. But that's a large part. And we got a lot of people now that started small. And that's what yeah. I would say just start small. You don't have to, you know, swing for the fences right off the gate. Just, you know, raise 50 bucks, do a car wash. Yep. Like yep. every dollar matters. And then now make it an annual car wash. Yep. And now make it a, a car and RV wash. You know what I mean? Like, yep. uh, and we have a lot of people that started small and now they're doing annual events. Um, and now every year their communities bought in and they love doing it and then more people help. And so we rely on a, on a lot of individuals across the nation that conduct these type of events to help raise funds for us, which is phenomenal. I, I, lo I love it. And obviously for everybody who follows me, you see, you know, on my birthday, it's a Green Beret Foundation fundraiser. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I buy, oh, also guys, go to the website. They have some amazing pins. <laughs> they got some amazing jackets. Like literally your quality oh, yeah. is amazing. I bought all that stuff, guys. So, I mean, obviously uh, everything, everything helps. $25, $5, it does not matter. Every dollar counts. And I really love that. Uh, so now you have a ton of experience. So let's talk about an individual who's at a pivot point in their life, Okay. Let's say they're either looking at go joining the military or getting out the military. What's one piece of advice? I know this is kind of a real one, but what's one piece of advice can you give somebody who's at a pivotal point in their life? If I had to, do, if I had to just give one piece of advice, mm -hmm. um, listen to your gut instinct. Mm -hmm. um, because you will have a lot of external noise, whether it's parents or friends or this person chirping in this area and this, you know, and I think as individuals though, especially somebody, you know, at 18, 19 years old, trying to figure out which way to go in life. Um, 
I think most people kind of know instinctually if they have it in their gut, like this is something I want to do. But then they instantly let fear creep in mm. and all those insecurities about, well, I probably won't make it or I probably won't do this. Like, just follow your gut, man, and take the big risks. Every big risk has a huge reward, right? All the biggest risks come with the biggest rewards. And every single successful person that I've ever encountered in my entire life, nine out of 10 of them are successful because they took an enormous risk at some point in their life. And it changed the trajectory of what they were doing. And most successful people, yeah, there's people that either they'll just inherit money or have it a little lucky, but for the most part, successful people understand discipline and perseverance, persistence, and doing the small incremental things on a very consistent basis. Because those small incremental things done on a very consistent basis lead to monumental changes in their lives. Um, and, and I've always tried to just emulate other successful people, right? And what I'm yeah. saying are just tidbits of information that I've heard from mentors and people and seeing successful people. And I always try and right? You go into a room and who's the smartest person in here? I want to go talk to them. I want to pick their brain. How, how do you do it? Share, share your best practices, you know? So I'm always, I'm always willing to do the same as well. So I love it, man. And everything you said, success leaves clues, stand on the shoulders of giants, people who have done it before you, all these things, guys, these, these aren't things that we've you know, articulated in our mind. No, hell no. We are literally following a path that has been laid out before us by somebody who else who has succeeded. I love it. And take an action with that whole um, risk concept. If you take a big risk and you fail, the lesson that you learned is still more valuable than if you've never, ever taken the risk. So I love that. I love that, man. All right. So now everybody is obviously interested in you. They want to know more about Brent. They want to know more about the Green Beret Foundation. How can they get in contact with you or the GBF? We got a great website, man. Uh, GreenBeretFoundation.org. There's ways to, you want to get in touch with me? I'm, I'm an open book, man. You can email me, Brent at GreenBeretFoundation.org. Shoot me an email, find me on LinkedIn. Like I'm just a regular guy right? Like I, I'm just like everybody else um, living in San Antonio, Texas, loving life here. Good life. It was like 80 degrees today. It's February. No, San Antonio is amazing. I really do love it. But anyway, continue. Oh, but, but yeah, <laughs> go to our website and that's where you can learn a lot more about our programs. We've got a great uh, video on there with testimonials, people we've supported um, and, and all of our events are on there, current events, and, and they're always kind of updating. Um, but you know, nowadays it's all on the website. Mm -hmm. Find us on, we got a great following on, on Instagram as well. Mm -hmm. um, we're very big in the social media, right? Because I have, like, I do a lot of marketing. We do push a lot of stuff out. Um, and we're constantly trying to get involved and collaborate with other great organizations out there. So also, you know, if you're, you're veteran owned or Green Beret uh, listening or watching and have a business, reach out to me, man. I'm here to help you. My job is to help Green Berets and their families. So reach out, man, and we'll do what we can to, to help you in any capacity. Help build your business as well, right? So I'm, I want to help people promote their business um, as well. 
I love it, man. And honestly, man, I cannot thank you enough for coming on to this episode. Again, it's, it's a very yeah. special episode for me. Uh, for everybody listening, obviously, you guys know what to do, right? Hit the like button, hit the subscribe. But more importantly, we are we going to have all of the Green Beret Foundation's information in the description below. If you guys feel like you want to contribute in any way, remember, every dollar counts. If you guys want to give $1, $5, I don't care. It's all there. We are going to promote the hell out of this. So if you guys feel uh, so obliged, please go ahead and contribute to a very special cause that's near and dear to my heart and obviously to Brent's heart as well. Uh, but until next time, this is Mike signing off.